Genesis 1 tells us, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College. As the college's 2023 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought considered the ancient and modern challenges of technology, the scriptures provided a vital guide to inventiveness and evaluation. At the school, I gave this introduction to our seminar discussions of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 and Exodus chapters 25 through 40. I have no idea how many times I've read Genesis 1 through 11 uh, and Exodus 25 to 40. Repeatedly probably covers it for Exodus, but given the importance of Genesis chapters uh, 1 through 11 for our understanding of the rest of the Bible uh, and theology uh, and the whole history of salvation, I have read, marked, and inwardly digested these verses so many times. One of the requirements uh, when I was at uh, seminary was a course called Old Testament Hermeneutics. And no, it was not a course about naked people in the Bible named Herman, as someone, <laughs> somebody wondered. Um, anyway, the assignment, the, the assignment was to read from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Second uh, Kings, so the whole sweep of the history. Uh, and, and by the way, that's, that is just a wonderful thing to do. It's just to sit down and read it. Uh, and uh, somewhere around the middle of the semester, um, having, having done all this reading, we realized that the professor you know, was barely out of Genesis chapter 2 and into chapter 3. It's like, whoa. He never ex in intended to go anywhere beyond Genesis chapter 11. This is what you need to know to, to uh, interpret the rest of the Bible. So yet in all those readings, I've never asked questions about technology. You know, tend the garden. Okay, I understand agriculture, uh, as I've said over the years, leads to culture. Um, and thus, Genesis uh, chapter 1, 26 to 28, is rightly called the cultural mandate. But I've never dug into the technology, uh, the tacit command to develop technology that's inherent in these texts. So what I thought I'd do to this afternoon is to let you dig into the texts in a seminar by giving you just some handles and some ideas and raising some questions about uh, Genesis uh, and Exodus. Let's begin at the beginning. Always a good idea. Two creation accounts? Well, yes and no. What I think is going on here is the same story related from two very different perspectives, showing us different aspects of this complicated business of life on earth. Genesis 1-1 to 2-3 uh, is really a preface. It's the prologue to the entire book of Genesis, yea and verily, a prologue to the entire Bible. It places the emphasis on God as the creator, the non-divinity of the creation, and the man and the woman as king and queen of what God has created, the pinnacle of the created order. 
It's about dominion. Day one, God created the light and the darkness. Day four, God created the creatures, the rulers of light and darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars. Day two, God, God divides the sky from the sea. And on day five, he fills the sky with birds and the sea with fish, the creatures, or again, we might say the rulers of those realms. On day three, God created the dry land. And on day six, he fills that land with, quote, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, close quote. He then crowns his creation with these beings who are made in his image, the creatures that would rule all realms and all creatures of this creation. Now, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Leon Cass notes in his marvelous book, The Beginning of Wisdom, reading Genesis, quote, to see how man, God's image, might be godlike, we look at the text to see what God is like. In the course of recounting his creation, Genesis 1 introduces us to God's activities and powers. One, God speaks, names, blesses, and hollows. Number two, God makes and makes freely. Number three, God looks and beholds the world. Number four, God is concerned with the goodness and perfection of things. Number five, God addresses solicitously other living creatures and provides for their substance. Then Cass goes on, in short, God exercises speech and reason, freedom in doing and making, and the powers of contemplation, judgment, and care, close quote. As God himself has ultimate dominion over everything he has made, that is, over everything, he gives these two, male and female, dominion over the earth he created for them to live in, a dominion that we share today. Leon Cass suggests, and I would agree, that even in the garden, this dominion was a dangerous thing. Man and the man and the woman are godlike, but they are not gods. Quote, man is the ambiguous being, in between, more than an animal, less than a god. This fact, and it is a fact, makes man a problem as the Bible, even in this celebratory chapter, subtly teaches, close quote. And of course, it's something the remainder of the Bible teaches with no subtlety at all. Genesis 2, chapter, uh, verse 4, begins with the words, these are the generations of. Those words, the same in Hebrew in every place, not the same in English in every place, but those words, these are the generations of, mark the divisions in the book of Genesis. And just in our reading here, we'll see them again in 5.1. These are the generations of Adam. 6.9, the generations of Noah. 10.1, the generations of Noah and his son. 11.10, the generations of Shem. Uh, and 11.27, the generations of Terah. And so on throughout the book. There are others as well. So chapter 1-1 to 2-3 is prologue. And in that prologue, man is the climax of the story. 
God makes this and he makes this, and then let us make man in our image. It builds to that, that as the crescendo. Beginning in 2.4, man is not the climax of the story, he is the subject of the story, the pivot for all the other action. The beginning of the story is 2.4, and it demands to be informed, however, by the prologue, as does the rest of the scripture. In this second account, God creates the earth, but there, it says in verse uh, 2 5, uh, but there was no herb of the field that had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. There's no point of God planting a garden unless there is irrigation and unless there's somebody to care for the garden. Interesting. What, 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 do, you, what do you make of that? Um, human industry is part of this whole, whole process. Then in 2, 7 and 8, and drop to 15, uh, 7 and 8, then God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the east, and there he put the man whom he formed. Dropping down to 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. In Genesis 1, God created man in his image, with no more details about how God did that um, than we get about how God created the sun and the moon. He decided to do it, and it was done. He spoke. That was all. In Genesis 2, we get some details, and the details tell us that this human and Adam, Adam, simply means the human. The human is an embodied spirit, dust and the breath of God, inextricably connected to the earth. He is ensouled dust in his creation, and we'll learn in chapter 319, in his death, he will again become dust, return to the earth from which he was taken. Human destiny is intricate intricately and inextricably connected with the earth, with the physical world, with embodiment. His job, even before the fall into sin, is to till the ground. Till the ground might also be translated to serve the ground, serve the earth. Using his fingers and fingernails, well, maybe for a little while, but that got old pretty quick. Sticks work better than fingers. Ah, sticks. And hey, I can harden the stick up by sticking it in the fire for a little while. Better yet, I can tie a rock to my stick. And look at that. You know, I, I, can't, I can't harden the rock in the fire, but some of these rocks melt. And I can, I, I can collect that stuff, and it hardens up in such a way that this shiny stuff can be worked so that it's sharp and even more helpful than a rock. Metallurgy, meteorology, astronomy, mechanics, woodworking, horticulture, culinary arts, you gotta cook, <coughs> architecture and building, you gotta put your produce somewhere. 
All of these things flow rather directly out of this command to till the ground. Civilization flows directly from this command to till the ground. Human life is not to be simply a primitive gathering, but a technologically informed tilling of the soil, taking dominion over the earth to meet human needs. And we see that immediately after Adam and Eve's fall. They ate of the forbidden tree, and then, let's see, uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They sewed fig leaves together. I mean, how interesting. With what? <laughs> Needle and thread? Uh, you know, I, I, the, uh, apparently the, uh, the, uh, the Native Americans of the Southwest used to break the point off an agave and pull it back, and a needle and thread. Maybe something like that, I don't know. But I mean, they sewed, they made things. Um, however they did it, it's interesting. And later in pronouncing judgment, uh, 321, it says that after pronouncing judgment, duh, 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 the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What's that about? Did God show them new clothing material and new technology for clothing themselves and protecting themselves? Well, on to Cain and Abel. Cain was the firstborn, and his name is from the Hebrew word to get or to acquire. Yes, Eve said, I have gotten a man or acquired a man with the help of the Lord. True enough, but think about Cain. He strikes me as someone who acquires. Cain was a farmer. He laid claim to some parcel of land, worked the land, planted, tended, harvested, and ate and sacrificed. Abel was born next. And his name is probably from the Hebrew word chevel, um, as in chevel, chevel. All is chevel and a striving after wind from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Breath, vanity, fragility, vapor, meaninglessness. Um, I, one commentator I read said, well, we can't make too much of that. I, eh, Hebrew names are important. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what to make of that. Um, anyway, Abel took dominion over a flock of sheep, a rather low-tech occupation when compared with tilling the soil. Yet when it came to sacrifice, uh, chapter 4, verse 4b, Abel brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portion. Uh, Cain brought fruit of the ground, and Abel brought firstlings of his flock and the fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Does that have something to do with technology? I mean, why, why, 
why one why, and not the other? Uh, in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the apostle warns us, uh, quote, not to be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous, close quote. How, do, how does that inform the text? Anyway, Cain killed his righteous brother. And his, in his line, Cain's line, led to that nasty, vengeful, murderous, polygamous fellow, Lamech. And apparently, quite a few people just like him. Um, meanwhile, Seth, Seth's line, Seth being the replacement son for Abel, Seth's line led to righteous Noah. And while I understand that, Consider that Cain was, God told him, you will wander. And Cain wandered into the land of wandering. That's what Nod means, the land of wandering. And he stopped in the land of wandering and built a city. He started doing stuff. He and his descendants started improving, or at least making use of the world, changing it to suit their needs and desires. Cain built a city, and a city, by definition in the Middle East, has a wall. Why? Because cities were built for safety, and a wall was a barrier against bad things. The building of walls required technology of some sort do technology and fear have something to do with one another? To, uh, to technology and the desire for safety. And does it surprise you that Cain and his descendants are the early technologists, the early innovators? Uh, this is uh, four, uh, beginning with 19. Lamech had two wives, one named Ada, one named Zillah. Ada bore Ada bore uh, Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have cattle, which are more complicated than sheep. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah bore Tubalcain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. Does it strike you as odd that those things should come from Cain's line. Or does it strike you as, yeah, well, that's what I would have expected. Um, does it say something about technology and those who create it and wield it? Making things out of bronze and iron is specifically mentioned. And of course, you can make plowshares to till the ground, but you can, you can beat plowshares into swords just as easily as you can beat swords into plowshares. The question of technology and fear, I think, pops up again, along with the question of technology and aggression. I mean, think of how many, you know, they, they say, oh, you know, the, the NASA, sending things in space, look at all the wonderful uh, inventions that we came up with and how it benefits. Well, folks, war does that too. War, do, war gave us the jet engine. War gave us radar. Um, as near as I can tell, my car, my car has four radar guns 
Now, I don't know if they're the same kind of fancy radar, but I mean, you know, it's, it's just beeping for all sorts of reasons. And that's a safety thing, that's good. But radar was developed for war. Sonar was developed for war, not for finding fish, okay? Uh, uh, technology and aggression. Now think about righteous Noah building the ark. Now the ark was not a ship per se. It was just a big watertight cigar box. And when I say big, I mean really big. Depending on whether you're using a 17.5 inch cubit or a 22 inch cubit, and I used 18 because the math was easier, it was a minimum of 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high, with a minimum displacement of 20,000 tons and possibly a displacement as high as 43,000 tons. And just to give you a comparison, the Queen Elizabeth II, which was not made out of gopher wood but rather uh, steel, has a, a, a displacement of 49,700 tons. This was a big thing Noah made. Now in order to do that, he must have used his distant cousin Tubal Cain's technology. Wood needed to be cut, transported, fitted, joined, and caulked. Pitch was crude, crude oil. It was tarry crude oil. Um, something that has a long history of cork for boats, and we'll see in the case of Babel, and I, I believe in the case of Carthage, right? Uh, it, it was used as mortar for bricks. When the flood was over, Noah reverted back to farming. He, and note that he planted a vineyard, and out of that vineyard, he figured out how to make wine. More technology. Then there's Babel. A story for our times. Uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 3. They said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, pitch, for mortar. And they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. I want, I want you to take a hard look at Babel during, uh, during our seminar times. There was one language. There was technology. They knew how to make fire-hardened bricks. There was building. It required a great deal of organization. Talked about reaching the heavens. Um, welcome back. Um, and making a name for ourselves. Is there something here that informs our understanding of technology, particularly communications technology in the 21st century? What does it mean to make a name for ourselves? And why did God want to stop them? Since he wasn't protecting himself, perhaps the way Zeus might be protecting himself from those people with their technological advancements that Prometheus had given them. If the, the Lord God wasn't doing that, he wasn't protecting himself. So what was he doing? 
You may also want to, yeah, and, and again, consider how that story and Prometheus perhaps work together. How God is in a sense like Zeus and in a sense not at all like Zeus. And very quickly regarding Exodus, let me just leave you with a few questions. Why was God so precise in how to build the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, all its furnishings and the priestly vestments and all the rest? What did God assume about the technical skills available in Israel? And how does the story of the golden calf fit into the middle of the narrative between the instructions on how to build and the actual building? How is it similar? How is it different? What does it tell us about the use of technology? Does it tell us anything about technology and fear, technology and desire? And note that uh, the golden calf, you know, we say calf, you know, oh, the cute little thing here, I'll feed it with a bottle. That, that, that's, no, it wasn't one of those. This was a young, a statue of a young virile bull, the symbol of strength, of sexual prowess, and of fertility. Um, this is the first kind of toying with Baal worship that will plague Israel uh, uh, in its later history. This then also informs what it means that they rose up to play. They weren't playing cribbage or, or croquet. The opening chapters of Genesis present God as creator. God did not give birth to the universe. He did not use the dead bodies of other gods to set up the world. He did not use pre-existing stuff to craft the planets and stars. He created things different from, apart from, over and against himself. Creation is non-divine. He made everything out of nothing. He formed and placed humans, those made in his image, into the world he created giving them dominion, giving them the command to till the earth, and perhaps the command, with that, the command to create civilization. It would seem then that human making and human technology necessarily follow, that the creation is somehow lacking without them. Anyway, let's break up into groups and we'll talk about that. And uh, if you can't remember all the questions, I have them right here. Thank you. In his encyclical, Caritas in Veritate, Pope Benedict XVI wrote, quote, entranced by an exclusive reliance on technology, reason without faith is doomed to flounder in an illusion of its own omnipotence, close quote. And the truth of that statement is right there at the beginning of the Bible. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.